0: Good morning, everyone. And our first reading, um, we see the what we understand as the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments uh, being given from Moses. And uh, in Jesus' time, uh, this was to keep those commandments was to be was an expression of fidelity and loyalty to God, uh, and a way of uh, showing your love for Him. Of course, Jesus would come and He would show us that, but He would show us how else to do this. Our second reading, as we continue to hear from St. Paul to the Hebrews, uh, we continue to hear about Jesus, the high priest. He is the only one for all eternity. Um, uh, Being a priest, a Roman Catholic priest, uh, I belong to the priest of Jesus Christ. Um, And because he is a priest forever and the only high priest— uh, bishops, priests, and deacons are uh, priests of Jesus Christ uh, uh, would the israel if would the Israel nation would Hebrews understand that they would probably understand uh, what I do along the lines of the levitical priests who go into the sanctuary and offer sacrifices and offerings um, more along the lines associated with Jesus a line in the uh, according to the Melchizedek, the priest of a Melchizedek, who is a mysterious figure who enters in and enters out. Um, and I bring this up because it becomes important. Uh, my friends, you should know that uh, Jesus Christ makes promises through his sacraments, and so uh, I'm mean, people laugh when I say this, but even if let's say Father Mark uh, was in mortal sin, and he was the most cranky priest ever, ever, ever. And I'm never, right? <laughs> but if I were, um, the Mass is offered, and Christ himself ensures that this sacrament uh, is in fact what he promises. So in spite of me, the priest, if something was wrong, he ensures for you uh, uh, that the sacrament happens. And all any, any of the sacraments that the, the priest offers is valid, licit, and works for you. And then he will take the priest to task on his own. Um, so know this. Sometimes people wonder, well, if, you know, if the priest is really bad, Uh, Don't worry about, you know, Jesus will deal with the priest, um, but he will ensure that the sacrament is valid for you. My friends, uh, if you don't know, if you haven't studied, uh, Luke and Matthew have a different account of this day of Jesus uh, that Mark is, we're reading from Mark. And based on that, uh, uh, I came to reflection, I wonder what the scribe was expecting Jesus to say when he asked that question, which is the first of all the commandments? And it made me, of course, come to ask the question, what do you, his disciples today, what do you think is the greatest commandment? Is it obeying every rule ever written that you see? Is it doing it perfectly, and no, no errors, And if you did? Uh, God becomes unhappy? The answer that Jesus gave was not what the scribe had in mind. I base this on Matthew and Luke's account. Nor is it what many people would rank as first when Jesus presented it. Uh, I don't think people are like, mm, I don't know if that's, I don't know. That's the first ones really. Now Jesus is giving more than just an opinion. He is telling you uh, what matters to God. And my friends, and when we look at what Jesus did, uh, he said, here is the first one, and it's known as the Shema uh, in, uh, for Israel. Uh, the first commandment, Jesus didn't say, you must follow every rule precisely. He did not say, you must fear God. Rather, he said, the first commandment is this, to love him, and to love him with every good faculty of our existence, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. My friends, if we do not love God with all our heart, then it becomes hardened. We will see this in Mark's Gospel of Jesus. We'll talk about this in uh, Mark's account of chapter 3, line 5, chapter 16, line 14, Jesus would go on to say, and if your heart becomes hardened, from it becomes destructive, or out of it comes destructive wickedness. Mark chapter 7, 21. If you do not love God with all your soul, then uh, we will lack the resilience and the fortitude to withstand when the agony in the garden comes for us. And it does come for us. For Jesus, it was a different type. The agony preceded this, but for each disciple something comes. Mari. You know. So, if we do not love God, uh, we will not have the fortitude to understand and withstand it the way Jesus did when he stood up and walked to Jerusalem where the cross was waiting for him. If we do not love God with all our mind, then we will very well might consider uh, people who do to be fanatics. If we do not love God with all of our strength, we very well might use what power we do have to indulge in very unhealthy things for our mind, our bodies, and our souls. The scribe in today's account regards Jesus' answer as both innovative and an improvement in his time. It led him to repeat what Jesus said. He kind of paraphrased a little bit. Did you see that? And it became almost a profession of faith for the scribe. And typically, scribes were antagonistic towards Jesus. So Mark presents this scribe as not being antagonistic, but quite friendly and warm to him. It seems then that the scribe recognizes that one cannot live this life without love. God brings into existence and permeates and steeps every dimension of human life. Whether you believe in God or not, this is what God does. He is the creator of all things. He is the love that fills human hearts. He is the life that quickens the human soul. He is the truth that enlightens human minds. He is the way that makes us strong. My friends, If we refuse to love God as Jesus has told us first and fully, then it is an attempt to place God on the peripherals of our life as if we possess on our own the power of life and death. We make ourselves gods. And this truly is, uh, if you will, the sin of idolatry. Only love keeps us from being like that. In our account, the scribe asserts this when he declares that love of God and neighbor is worth more than all the offerings and sacrifices one could make. He's being very specific and deliberate. He's talking about the Levitical priests who went into the tabernacle area and offered. And the scribe is saying, you are right to love God and to love others is worth more than these things to God. In other words, authentic love uh, for God surpasses any human initiative, any effort to rely solely on our own doings, any attempt to get by to merely appease God. My friends, in Jesus' time, as well as in ours, plenty of sacrifices could easily be offered without a shred of affection for God. But when we love God above all else, we honor and cherish him in a way that surpasses every other, because then we worship God for who he is, and according to St. John the Evangelist, God is love. That's how John describes him. God is love. Jesus approves of the scribe's answer because the scribe is using his mind not to intellectualize God or to try and uh, figure out Jesus' theological intricacies, which Jesus is putting forth some theology about his father. But rather, the scribe is trying to understand God so that he may love God more. And Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom now, brother. He's not using all of his faculties and scribes were are smart to simply intellectualize God, but to come to know him completely. We are told in the scriptures, no one dared to ask Jesus any more questions. And the only time this phrasing is used again in Mark's gospel is in the description of Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea, when Jesus dies, he goes to Pilate and asks for the body. And remember, they consider Jesus to be a criminal. And Joseph of Arimathea would have been scorned by the community. He probably would have been in trouble normally. But he has the courage, may I have his body, please, please, give him to me took great courage for Joseph to do this. We find that in Mark's Gospel 15, chapter 15, 43. The people, although we're not told, we're told that they won't ask Jesus anything more, but I think the people lacked the courage to question Jesus further about such things because they were not ready to hear what Jesus said about love. And it's not surprising Because the people had been taught something different. Jesus knew this. They had been instructed by the religious authorities of their time, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees, that they are to fulfill all 613 Mosaic laws and the Talmud. Remember, the Talmud were man-made principles put in place to help them with the 613 Moses laws. They are all equal. None of them are lesser than the other. And they must be observed perfectly if they are to make God happy. This is what they were taught. So it's not surprising that when Jesus says, I'm going to tell you a different way, they didn't dare to ask any more questions because they were afraid. Jesus, in his response, shows what religion and faith and even worship fundamentally must have. It must have love in it. Jesus reminds them of what God has always directed his people to do, to be holy, as God himself is holy. Over and over again, God, through the prophets of Old Testament, make clear what holiness demands that they respect humans, because God does. We will find that in the book of Leviticus, Old Testament, 19, 1-7. The scribe in St. Mark's account seems to recognize this as there is something that that scribe knows very well, the prophet Hosea. You'll find that in Hosea 6-6, there it says, God told me to tell you I desire love. I desire mercy. I desire loyalty from you, not your services, your sacrifices, and your burnt offerings to me. First and foremost, love, and then bring your gift to me. Moved by the scribe's recognition of what is close to God's heart, Jesus tells him, you are not far from the kingdom of my Father. And in my words, your pastor, I can almost see it, Jesus saying, go, brother, go, keep going. You're different from the others. My friends, last week I brought up John's gospel. I should have waited till this week. (laughs) Oops. So you're going to hear it again, but I think it's necessary in this time to remember what I brought up, John's Gospel 13, beginning with Pericope 34, in light of what Jesus did and because I've told you they were not ready to hear what he really had to say the night before he will sacrifice his life, Jesus said, I give you a new commandment, love." one another. This commandment superseded all the others that were in place. Because he had already said, here's the greatest one, love. In this command, as I told you last week, he does not command you to feel. He commands you to do something. Love expresses itself in action. And Jesus would, the very next day, show us what that would look like for him. In that gospel, John says, Jesus then followed that statement with, As I have loved you, that is the new that Jesus said when he said, I give you a new commandment. As I have loved you, so you should also love each other. And as I told you last week, Jesus sets himself as the example by which we are to measure how we are doing with our faith, how we are doing with our discipleship, how we are doing as human beings with our behavior. Jesus will go further in the Gospels and tell us, this is what it is to be my follower. This is what I expect from you. If you want to get into my Father's kingdom, this is what you're going to have to do. Jesus would demonstrate the next day the depths of such love by sacrificing his life not only for his friends, but for the very enemies of God, the ones who would kill him. He offers his, the sacrificial blood that he has. And this demonstration of love would change the world. It has. This demonstration of love would blow the minds of his apostles. Not only would it take their breath away, but his sacrifice, what he did, took away sin, even more importantly. In this also, Jesus took away any excuse you and I could ever have for not loving the way he did. Why? Because He did it first. And he said, now, do as I have done. And he said, this is how they will know that you belong to me if you love one another. The Pharisees and scribes and and the Sadducees had complicated and convoluted Moses' law to an extent that people didn't know what was up and down, what was left and right. So Jesus cut through all of that and made it very clear and absolute for us and for his disciples and for his church, which are the disciples, you guys. What Jesus did then was a contrast to the thinking of his time and It still is when it comes to religion and faith, I think today, Jesus would say, love first, God and others. The implication is, as I told you last week, Jesus would say, do unto others as I have done to you. This model is less complicated than the ones presented by the Pharisees and scribes. But it was far more demanding because no longer could you just go to the store and buy a pigeon and walk into the church with it. Here you go. Nope. Didn't work anymore. And again, remember I told you if you want to know what that love is, you want to see the example, pick up your Bible and read the New Testament. The examples of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, are filled. And if you read and say, I'm still not sure, man," then you go and see what St. Paul wrote to the Corinthians. It's used almost at every wedding. (laughs) As one of the wedding rings, his letter about love. The love that he said Jesus talked about. The love that was important to Jesus, not the kind of love sometimes humans think but the way God thinks about it. And when we look at the Acts of the Apostles, and the, new, the apostles, the disciples, they attempted through their very lives to explain to us what Jesus meant and how to do it. And I agree with the disciples and the apostles. St. Peter would go on to say, the Holy Spirit will help you. It will nudge you and direct you into the ways of Jesus which was kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, especially over one's tongue. <laughs> mm-hmm. My friends, here's the crux of it. Love does not dishonor other people. Love does not treat people with, in disgrace. Love does not treat people indecently. Why? Because Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, never treated another human person that way. And if you claim him to be your Lord and Master, your Savior, you know what you need to do, what he does. I left you with a question. When you don't know what to say or do in any situation, ask yourself this. What does love, as Jesus described it, as the New Testament tells us, what does love require of you in this situation? Someone joked and said, when I'm in the grocery store, I'm like, oh, come on. When you're picking out your apples? No, I think you can handle it on your own. <laughs> it's the other things. I know people said, Father, you talk an awful lot about love in the church well yeah that's because the world and many places talks about hate all the time and what did jesus do he combated hate with love so i'm going to talk to you about love guess if you don't like it you won't come back um, but oh well <laughs> there you go so my friends um Sometimes I will give my life for Mother Church because I am called to do so, if necessary. I love Mother Church. And that means you guys. The church is you guys also. Sometimes of late, I wonder if Mother Church has gone too far astray from the core mission of Jesus Christ about what we're supposed to be doing. But I also know the Holy Spirit's in charge. So... The Holy Spirit, as Saint Peter was said, will nudge us back where we're supposed to be. If we start doing, if the church starts going too far away, and I bring this up uh, because um, people of late have expressed their disappointment with the hierarchy, the Pope, the bishops, perhaps even me as a priest. But we are a family. Do you leave your family because you have a disagreement? with your family member, or do you stay? Tuesday, uh, it's we call it uh, All Souls Day, but it's known as All the Faithful Departed. And it's not a solemnity, it's not a, a feast day, it's not a memorial, it's a, this strange day that the people have elevated to a solemnity. People, The church will be filled on All Souls Day as they remember their loved ones and their friends and honor them. You as disciples, you as members of the church, you as the church have the ability to influence the bishops as church. You must always do it in a charitable way. But you have that ability. You have that power. I can't. I'm a little priest in a little parish. And my obedience is to the Archbishop in all things. And so it is for you. But you guys have the ability. If you want to influence and persuade, you can. You've already done this. A good example is All Souls Day. What you've done. So, um, you don't leave the church. You stay in, and we work it out. Write your letters, if need be, but do so in kindness. What would love require of you in the situation that you find yourself in? Christ promised nothing would prevail against his church. I believe him. So, I remain. As I do now, tomorrow's All Souls Day, and it's a solemnity. But when it falls on a Mo- All Saints Day, sorry, All Saints Day, and it's a solemnity. Uh, but when it falls on a Monday, it's not a holy day of obligation. <laughs> Precepts. <laughs> what do you do? Do you get upset? No. We just. What would love require you to do in this situation? Come, come, come to mass, even though they. It said you don't have to. Come. That's how we work it out. Okay? If you haven't uh, picked up your memorial candle for All Souls Day, they're still available today. You can write the names of all your loved ones and prayers on it. And uh, I will light the fire uh, and put the fire on all the candles, blessing them, and they will burn for six days in, in memory and honor of loved ones. Okay? All right, my friends. Um, again, I know in of late... Uh, Many members have been expressing uh, their anxiety and fear and uh, anger even of the church's hierarchy of late. Um, So we stay together and we work through it. We work through it. Influence. Influence the hierarchy. Pray. Remember, it's not my will, God's will. So even as you write, what does God want of his church?